all right hi welcome back to another episode of beyond the bedroom i'm in my little makeshift studio here i got my cute little candles behind me look how cute these guys are oh if you're listening instead of watching hi of course you can't see me i am on youtube so hi youtube and hi listeners so this week i started pelvic floor physical therapy again <laughs> but this time for real so last time I did it not uh, because of a doctor's referral but more because I felt I needed it and I sought it out uh, from a private physical therapist unfortunately the physical therapist I went to before had very little understanding of the pelvic floor and so I didn't go to a specific pelvic floor physical therapist I don't know what I was thinking back in the US it was horrible they used a dilator wand it hurt so bad I was like clawing into the table they did not seem to care at all they thought I was being dramatic etc fast forward I learned that I actually do have pudendal nerve damage I live in Iceland and I have been misdiagnosed for so many years but I finally got the diagnosis that really fits for me and it's part of a larger diagnosis regarding my nervous system that I won't get into here and now but this is the first time I'm wearing jeans I just realized this is the first time I'm wearing jeans in probably since like when when did it happen like November or so um or October November so yeah it's been crazy uh I don't think I really talked about it that much but basically what happened is I've had you know chronic pain for a long time in my pelvis and it's really part of the reason why I want to help other people that have dealt with chronic pain before in their lives I don't know it was just really really tough I think for a lot of reasons but there was this one night in particular where I could not sleep and I knew something was really wrong it hurt so much to just you know go to the bathroom it hurt so much to just walk around and it continued I had to like call out of work and I didn't know what was going on and it got to the point where I couldn't walk like my legs and my hips were just not working and basically I went to the hospital and what happened is I was given a pelvic exam and they just immediately saw like you clearly have some sort of dysfunction in your pelvis anyway this is not the fun part I promise um <laughs> it's coming so Long story short, I get a great referral for a pelvic floor physical therapist. I live in a country with um, a very small healthcare system for a very, you know, like for the population here, but I eventually got in and I'm so happy. So basically what happens when you go, if you don't know what pelvic floor physical therapy is, a lot of people do it. So people with chronic UTIs, people that are pregnant, people that have had old injuries. It's not just women also, like anyone can go. Like I know a lot of people with penises go because they have an old sports injury, like a groin injury. And so that's just what happens. So they do different things depending, but basically I went and we did our little intake we talked about you know the pain and and how much it hurts and where and all that and she's amazing I love her so much I immediately was like okay I feel really good I feel really safe here uh she did some stretching and my abdominal muscles she released my diaphragm she released my inner thigh muscles and my butt and my back muscles and then she did touch my vulva obviously that's like what I'm there for she did slap on those gloves 
and go inside as well. So I knew it was coming because I had done this type of work before. For a lot of people that have either like vaginismus or pudendal nerve damage or something related to not being able to receive penetration or penetrative touch, it can be really, really scary. Like the thought of like, I'm signing up to go have someone put things inside me but she obviously always asks for consent first and also um i cannot tell you how much of a difference just that one session made uh i know that you know i have these issues and i will continue to have to be on my medication for a while but it's not forever because of measures like this so i love that that was something that was really good for me and and something that i needed to hear uh, that when she said that it's not going to be forever, you're not going to have to be on these meds forever. So that was something that really helped me. So yeah, I got fingered for medical reasons this week and I loved it and I'm going to continue to go and um, obviously it doesn't feel good. Like I say get fingered obviously just for fun and it's a joke and it's a good title and all that, but uh, what I'm really saying is it hurts. Obviously, it's like going to physical therapy. And then there's also like stretches and exercises. So every day for like an hour, I take 10 minutes to do my little stretches and I take 10 minutes to do my little exercises. And then I take 10 minutes with a dilator, which is, if you don't know, I don't have one in the office, but it's like a glass wand. I can put a picture in here. Uh, it's part of my like pelvic floor care sets, which is like the O-nut, certain things. I'll just link that article also. But yeah, so I'm, I'm loving it. I am really happy if you can get a referral from a doctor to go if you do need this help. I cannot tell you how much of a difference it's made. And also, you know, I was really scared to go and my vagina was scared too. I was like, oh my god, this is gonna hurt so bad. But it's not anything that like I couldn't take or couldn't handle obviously and she finds these like trigger points inside of the vaginal walls and like kind of just massages them like I said it doesn't feel good it's like when I like when I explain this to people sometimes they're like oh so you must like do you someone asked me like do you have an orgasm and I was like no like it's not pleasurable stimulation it's it's literally like getting a deep tissue massage like it's not like you're not gonna i'm not gonna like squirt on the table like i don't know what to tell you she's in there with her finger and she's you know searching for trigger points and then she also does the same thing with all the other parts of my body so for someone who's not open to this obviously it could be really weird but i'm telling you this is what happens and and it's really good and I love just how much it's helping and so yeah if you have been looking into doing something like this but you haven't because you're scared I'm telling you if I can do it you can do it I promise so I want to talk about a couple other things today so I put on my Instagram the other day I've been doing these things where on Tuesday I ask a question for you all like I do like polls on my Instagram the question that I posed now on Tuesday was about men's health and men's insecurities and it's not genital specific and I really like that people just all kinds of people responded to the question which I really liked because you know it's something that is a hard thing to share and I and I asked people to say like what are some things that men feel insecure about what are some things that we don't always talk about um 
Okay, hi, I'm back. I had to let my hair down because that ponytail was uh, giving me a headache. Ironically, it is the bulk of my work as a sex educator. Almost all of my clients are men, which is really interesting to me. And I also, I don't necessarily cater to a male audience, I don't think, but about 50% of my followers are male and I get a lot of really helpful comments from men. Uh, so that's really interesting to me. So I just thought that I should say that like, I, I think it's because also I have all types of men that come to me. I have trans men, I have gay men, I have straight men, I have cis men. It's just all types of people and, and I'm very open to helping all kinds of people. So I'll get into what the poll was about. So I basically asked like, what are some insecurities that men deal with either sexually or in other areas? Um, and just in terms of sexual health, not just reproductive health. A lot of people felt as though men have this pressure to always be on or always want sex or always be down and it's weird if they don't or it's more weird if a guy doesn't want it than a than a woman and that's something that I hear all the time so that's really interesting to me. Another thing that people were kind of in agreement with is like an overwhelming amount of people said that men do have a pressure or there is this pressure for men to be dominant in bed or always kind of take charge. This is something that I've also heard. So it was like under 10% of people that voted in my poll said that they felt the opposite. So, or they had never heard that. So it was very interesting for me to go through that because I got a lot of replies. So a lot of people said, yeah, like I'm not a naturally very like take charge or dominant person. So for me, it was very interesting to uh, be dating as a man, as a heterosexual man and have this pressure and I kind of found out that if I just stuck true to myself and really made it known that I'm not this type of guy and I uh, have a different set of principles in my sex life and different values and I would rather be submissive and like just make it very clear from the get-go then he found that he was attracting partners that had similar interests so that was really interesting for me another thing that i found extremely valuable for this conversation is the idea that we don't always have to have a dom dominant and submissive person there doesn't always need to be someone who's like taking charge and the other person who's like letting everything happen we can just let things happen as they happen which is really interesting concept because a lot of the time people ask me how should I be more dominant or how can I be better at just letting go and being submissive and it doesn't always have to be like that so I found that really interesting because it's true like you don't always have to have one person who's calling all the shots and the idea of dominance is often very misunderstood most people that are dominant they are doing a lot of listening, a lot of feedback, a lot of checking in, and submissive people are letting you in their little frame for what's allowed and what's not. They're just, it's not just like anything goes. So it's kind of my conversation about giving and receiving, how there's a little bit of each element in, in each thing. The same thing, like you are creating a frame for someone to play in, to be submissive, and you are checking in with people while you're do dominant. So it's kind of the same thing. A lot of these things, there's balance. And 
it's very interesting to me that uh, we associate masculinity with dominance when it doesn't need to be like that. And I'm, I'm really happy that we're having these conversations and kind of mixing it up because wouldn't that also be kind of boring if it was always the same way? So I'm happy that we're breaking it up. But something also that was very important for me in this whole conversation was the idea that men also were struggling with body image issues and all of them were like it's not on the same scale of course that women are expected to be in certain uh, body shapes and you know all of that and there's maybe not always that element of hypersexualization like I heard that a lot but they still felt as though they were struggling that's something to me that you know with penis size body size muscle mass all these kinds of things, height, especially hair, you know, all these things that don't always need to be this like life or death black and white issue, but it's something that a lot of guys struggle with. And I thought it was really important. This, this one guy, he said, uh, that his peen, I should start using that word because I'm on YouTube now. He thought on the smaller side, he was like convinced that it was on the smaller side. His like, whole life basically and he grew up in the U.S. in a very rural town and he didn't play sports or anything so he was never really in the locker room with other guys and he just grew up it was him and his mom and his sister so he never really saw other peens except for in uh, online like either in porn or in media that was maybe once in a while showing something so he wasn't like super exposed to what like quote-unquote average is supposed to be and he always thought he just was so small. He became like extremely embarrassed about it. He was just so, so embarrassed. And then he stumbled upon this work of another sex educator that was talking about how you don't need to necessarily have a big penis in order to make someone satisfied and all of this stuff. So he got really into that type of work. And then he was sleeping with someone and he was like you know she she asked him like oh you know and he he told me this like not to brag but he was like oh like she had experienced an orgasm for the first time with a partner and I was just really happy to be able to help her with that and she was like where'd you learn to do this and he was talking about it and he was like yeah because you know my penis is on the smaller side and he thought she was just being nice by being like no it's definitely like average if anything a little bit above average and he was like what are you talking about no it's like it's small like I know that no it's not like it's it might not be like the most girthy one but it's definitely like long and you know she was like telling him it's definitely not small and he thought that was so eye-opening and then he started looking into just pictures of like regular men's penises that he could see online and that's when he was like, oh, I thought, one, I thought I had a small dick, and two, I thought that that mattered a ton. And three, I started becoming like obsessed with this idea. So I just think that's very interesting. Take what you want from that story. But he explained all of that to me and I was like, wow, that's quite a journey that you've been on. But I also thought that, you know, there might be other people that have dealt with that. And I, for one, have come across people that are like, no, it's not big. And I'm like, kind yeah like it kind of is like it makes sense when we have this huge obsession in a lot of cultures with this like huge phallus this giant penis that's supposed to rock our world and as if like the clitoris doesn't exist or something you know I don't know but either way the emphasis on the big penis is I'm so over it it really doesn't matter but also the ones that you see online 
might not be like a good representation of general society so just keep that in mind too it doesn't matter either way but it's just good to know um speaking of i might be having a discussion related to this and related to porn very soon on the channel so stay tuned for that but that was a little sidebar but anyway, I also wanted to talk a little bit about the sex ed conversation here in Iceland. So let's take a quick ad break and I will jump into that very hot topic conversation after that. Okay, short little ad today. Uh, this here that I'm holding is lube. You put it on your private parts, you put it on your bits. I love this one because it's pH balanced and it is aloe based personal lubricant from Maud. I love Maud. You all know this already. Uh, they sent me a bunch of stuff. If you haven't seen my unboxing video already on YouTube, go ahead and watch it. It's, I got the cutest things in the mail from them, but you can use my code BIRNA10 at getmod.com for 10% off. If you want to support the podcast, go ahead and use my code BIRNA10 at getmod.com to get a little discount and of course support the pod. So I am from the US, but I've been living in Iceland for about three years. For those of you who don't know, I do speak Icelandic, and uh, I've been working here some, as a sex educator, that's the word for sex educator in Icelandic, it's kinfræðingur. I remember the first, uh, the first couple months I was living here, I was writing a huge research paper, so I wasn't working a ton as a sex educator yet, but you know, I was doing a lot of consulting, curriculum writing and stuff, but I was mostly just working on this research paper and getting the stipend from that. When I wanted to open up and, and get some work as a sex educator and, and do more things here, I just on a whim sent an email to the kind of arguably like the biggest one here in Iceland. And I was like, hey, like uh, if you know of any job openings or anything, like just let me know if you, I think I even asked like if you need an assistant, like tell me. And she immediately was like, hi, want to meet for coffee? And I was like, okay, sure. And she became kind of like a mentor figure to me and she means so much to me. And her name is Sikaduk and she's just such a joy and honestly has done so much for sex education here in this country. And I'm, I'm really happy and I'm really honored to know her. Uh, she also used to be the sex educator for Loste, which is the store that I work at now as the in-house sex educator. And, um, you know, I was kind of happy to uh, carry the torch, so to speak. But anyway, this week uh, there was, and I'm going to keep this like unnamed, but basically there was somebody who is very, is kind of like a bigger teacher here in Iceland, um, like a well-known uh, person here who I would call a radical feminist, like very iffy, if that's even like the correct label. And I'm not going to put a label on her, like whatever brand of feminism she subscribed to is, is her thing. But uh, she's had a lot to say about kink. She's had a lot to say about, you know, calling kink abuse and also calling uh, any type of porn kind of a gateway to abuse. And I'm trying to translate here over to English in my head. So sorry if it's not super clear. But basically what happens is Sikka, uh, the, the sex educator, she goes all over Iceland and she is really, um, she's like a liaison for a lot of kids into like their first understanding 
not of sexuality, but what sex education, like comprehensive, real, really good sex education is. And she answers a lot of questions. And of course, teenagers in particular are going to ask about the stuff that they see like on HBO and Netflix and TikTok and YouTube and a lot of things that they're going to be seeing in the media in regards to kinks and what healthy relationships look like and all this stuff. So basically this topic came up. I don't know how or I don't know like how this kind of got into this huge thing, but basically what happens is she was uh, given this platform, um, this other lady uh, was given this platform to say, I don't think it's okay. No, that's a really big undergeneralization of what she said. She said, you know, obviously Sitka answered a question about choking, like a kink, like choking someone's neck during sex. And knowing Sitka, she probably gave like a very harm reductive, clear answer about consent and safety and communication and the realities of that behavior, right? This other woman goes on and she's like, it's ridiculous. How would you like it if someone were to choke your child? She's like speaking directly to parents. She wrote this article that was so intense and it's okay to have these thoughts and these opinions, obviously, but the way that this was dealt with, I believe was not necessarily healthy and not necessarily like conducive to a, an environment where children are going to be okay to ask about things and without shame. Also, you know, making things so off limits and insanely like hot topic is going to make kids and teens want to know more about it. So it's kind of like it didn't probably work the way that she wanted to. I will say that she has since apologized and she has also said uh, BDSM is not all abuse, which is a really great step. And she also said that uh, she apologizes like to Sika about like how she was talking about things and and the way she kind of portrayed everything. And um, because it was really intense, I'll use that word. It was a very intense moment. And a lot of sex educators, including myself, got angry messages from parents being like, "What are you teaching our kids?" which is understandable. Like I personally don't have children, but I can understand not knowing what your children knows and what not, not knowing what your children's been exposed to. It's scary, I'm sure. So I understood kind of everyone's perception of this and the way it was worded made it very, very intense. And um, there was a lot of emotions running high. So I just kind of want to talk about how I approach these topics. And I personally do not teach elementary school children sex ed. I don't have an interest in doing so. I teach uh, kind of older teens and adult sex ed. So I start around 16 years old and I go up. And I have taught some 16 to 18 year olds here in Iceland. And they have asked questions. And a lot of them ask questions about queerness and queer pleasure and queer sexuality uh, because they know that I'm someone who has talked openly about my experiences with that. But they also ask questions about things that they see directly in media. So uh, for example, some of these kids are watching Euphoria, right? They're like 16, 17. And so they want to ask me about, is it true that like sex is better on these drugs and like all this stuff? And I kind of had to give them a really honest answer and say, it's not necessarily worth finding out because sometimes you can't always be the cool one, right? And be like, yeah, you also want to make sure that they know they're not being shamed or judged for whatever they're doing. So for me, it was really important for me to say, no, it, it's not necessarily better or worse. It's a different experience. Immediately, they were not interested anymore. 
because it's true. Like if you heighten it into this huge thing that's like, that's absolutely not allowed ever. They're going to be like, oh my God, why is it not allowed? What's so life-changing about this thing? And they're going to take a chance. But also like if you say, yeah, totally, they're also going to be enabled to do so. So, you know, I just gave them the spiel about drugs and harm reduction and understanding that the way it's glorified in media and glamorized is not safe or or healthy and I talked about stories of people that uh, have uh, not had a healthy sex life because of drug use and that's something that can happen and that's the reality of it but I also talked about you know you can always come to me with questions because these things deserve to be talked about just kind of keeping that balance because it is kind of like a scale right it's like that seesaw right you don't want to tip them in one direction too much I know that kids and teenagers ask me things all the time because we don't have an age limit in my store that I work at so I do get you know girls that have just started their first period asking me about menstrual cups because we sell them and I also get you know maybe a 16 year old who's buying her first sex toy and she wants to get to know herself first before she has sex with someone else and before she has you know penetrative sex with someone so it's really exciting for me to be sometimes helping teenagers that are exploring themselves and stuff but it's also important to give them answers that don't scare them and don't tip them into like this direction where they're like, oh my God, what is so crazy about this thing? I must have to try it, right? So I honestly truly believe that Sitka handled this amazingly. And I just wanted to talk directly to people that are in my listener audience that have kids and that this is something that happens and this is something that we do. And it's something that, oh, my phone just went off. Excuse that. Uh, but it's something that we do talk to your kids about if they ask us questions. We're not going to be like, that is completely out of line. Never ask that again. Because what are they going to do? They're going to Google it. They're going to Google it. And what are they going to find? Either porn about it, which is entertainment. It's not educational, right? Or they're going to find some media. Or they might find a Reddit post. Or they might find a helpful blog, really good sex education. We don't know. We don't know, but that's like, is that the gamble? Is that the risk that we're willing to take? It's it's one of those things where you just have to weigh the pros and cons. And I, for one, love every single teenager. They have a soft spot in my heart that comes to me for sex ed questions. I love it. And I actually had a really cute experience. There were these two 18-year-old guys that came to one of my oral sex classes and they're 18. They're they're adults, you know, but they were just so sweet. They were trying to learn more about pleasure and vulva pleasure especially. And also basically I was talking at some point about not pushing someone's head down, you know, that's like a faux pas and instead if you have that urge because some people just have that urge with their hands they're not necessarily like pushing someone down but they just you know want to hold someone's head you can start to like kind of pet someone's hair or run your their your fingers through their hair and stuff like that and uh these guys came up to me after and they were like that was so cool because that's something you see all the time and I just thought that girls would be into but I obviously didn't have my critical thinking hat on and I just realized, you know, maybe that hasn't been a good thing for me to do. Not that they were like pushing, but just like putting their hands on someone's head during it might not be comfortable. And so they were like, you know, I'm just going to ask first and then do the thing you were talking about with like petting someone's hair or like running your fingers through their hair. And I was like, this is so sweet that they wanted to come up to me after and like tell me that something has made a difference in their, in their perception of their sex life. And they also said, thanks for 
teaching us and thanks for having us and like all the stuff and I just thought that was really cute because it's not every day that you get two guys like young teenage guys that come to your class and they're just like sponges they're just trying to like absorb as much as they can about communication and consent and pleasure and I just really like that so you know I think the kids are all right <laughs> and I think a lot of the time people do want to do better in their sex and in their communication with each other and we don't always have to assume that every like teenager is going to be this like wild and crazy and reckless person but we also want to make sure we understand that their critical thinking skills might not be as sharp as ours. So uh, unfortunately, I have to cut it a little short today. Usually my podcast episodes are about an hour long, but I am needed elsewhere. As you probably heard, my phone is going off, but I wanted to kind of leave an open-ended question for you. That is, if you can think back to when you were a teenager or if you're a teen now, what are some things that you wanted a different approach to in regards to your sex education? So what are some things that could have been better for you to experience in terms of comprehensive sex ed and if you didn't get any sex ed as a teen that's also an answer that can be something to think about and if you have a good answer for me or any answer at all obviously feel free to reach out to me you can email it to me leave it in the comments on my youtube uh send me on instagram just whatever uh you feel comfortable with and if you are listening uh please go ahead and give me a review because spotify is also doing reviews now which is really great and give me a little thumbs up and subscribe. I'm new here on YouTube, so I would really appreciate it. I will be starting to post very regularly. And so far, I'm loving doing these videos. My makeshift studio will be better soon. But yeah, so I will see you on the next one. Thank you so much for watching or listening.